So, my sermon today, I thought, since we're outnumbered, we have seven kids and six adults, so I thought I'd have a little bit more fun with the sermon today. I told Mason that uh, to take notes and to count how many, anim- how many slides I have today with animals on them. So if you guys want to participate, see how many, anim- how many slides with animals I have on it. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to have a little bit of a fun, a little more of a fun sermon. We're going to talk about a topic that is important for students. And something that I think is a problem that we're seeing in Christianity. Um, we see this issue that's occurring, not just not in the Seventh-day Adventist church so much. I don't know the specific numbers there. But we have this issue in Christianity occurring where 66% or more of students are leaving the church when they get to college, right? So once they leave the nest, once they leave home, they leave the church. And what I wanted to do was deal with one of, there's many issues, right? Ultimately, those students are not converted, right? God doesn't have grandchildren, He has children. So even our children need to be converted and need to understand and accept Jesus, right? But one of the issues is that we know that public education can be is one of the ways that the devil attacks. And so I have a couple of videos. They did, there was a, a company, uh, it's a, a ministry called Creation Magazine, and they did a little, some interviews, and uh, they, they wanted to know why people are leaving the church. Creation or evolution, which do you believe? Um, I'd probably have to say evolution. Evolution. Uh, evolution. In your church background, were you ever exposed to any scientific evidence for creation by your church leaders, pastors, anything like that? Definitely not. Nothing in particular, no. Uh, no, I believe so. Do you uh, still attend church today or, or not anymore? Um, only for holidays. We kind of stopped going to other as a family. but. So in that example, we had students that believed in evolution and they were never taught they you know this they asked were you ever taught young earth creation were you ever taught the science behind young earth creation or were you left to the public schools essentially is what it comes down to were you left to the public schools when you go to college even if you're homeschooled when you go to college you may be exposed to evolutionary theories So it's important to hear both sides because the kids, the students that were not exposed to the both sides are the ones that left the church. Here we look at... Did your church leaders, student leaders bring in any creation teaching that showed you there was scientific evidence to support the Bible's account of creation? Uh, Yes. Yeah, we learned a lot about different um, creationist scientists and the proof of young earth creationism. Still attend church today? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, every Sunday. So I wanted to have this little topic about creation. And that's what my sermon title is, is The Truth About Creation. And um, so we'll go over some of this and maybe 
the uh, the students in the uh, in the in the congregation will have some fun with it. Hopefully, I don't know. I'm not a uh, a, a teacher or anything, so I, I may fail horribly at that. But I do have some fun pictures, so maybe maybe everybody will enjoy that. So uh, let's uh, pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for bringing us here, God, and we just we want to gr- better understand your creation, God, because we know that the world around us speaks of your design. And so while the devil may play their tricks with his tricks with multiple prongs of attack into our educational system, God, we can see the world around us and we can see evidence of your hand. And God, as we journey down this path to, to kind of put a highlight on some of these topics, we ask for your presence. We ask for uh, a revival in gaining a relationship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, evolutionists believe that 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang where nothing exploded and produced everything, right? And then 4.6 billion years ago, Earth cooled down and it be, they, they became this crust on the outside of it this hard rocky crust, and it rained on this crust for millions of years, and it turned to soup. And we had this soup, and the soup became alive three billion years ago, and the soup found somebody to marry, and had offspring, and evidently something to eat. And then it slowly evolved into everything we see today. Perfectly plausible, right? (laughs) So... There are some lies in the science books. Now, most of the kids, or all the kids today, are homeschooled. And so they're not seeing this stuff in the science books. But in our science books today, we have uh, this, this lie of evolution that is put in there. And I'm not against science. I love science. In fact, I'm always trying to find something now even. I'm like, I wish Mason was a little bit older because... I want to do all the fun stuff that, that he needs to mature a little bit to be able to fully understand. But I'm not against science. I'm not against schools or teachers. Most don't even know what they really believe, right? They're just handed textbooks. They said, teach the stuff in the textbooks. They're not fully engaging with what they're teaching to fully extend that out to what that means, right? So Sometimes we have to show them what they believe and what is being taught, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll have some shock there. So the teaching the kids, uh, it all started with you know, the Big Bang 20 billion years ago. So what exploded? Now this is something that aired on National Geographic. Before the Big Bang, there was nothing, literally nothing. An infinitesimal nugget of space. And then something happened, triggering the most colossal explosion in history. So there was nothing. And then something happened to nothing. <laughs> it's just it's it's almost funny when you say when you start saying it out loud. But they this is these are shows that they, they have put out there, right? So that's what happened, boys and girls. Some, nothing was here. Something happened. Now everything's here. You know, uh, I saw this interview between a creationist and a professor. And the first question to the professor was, 
where did all of this matter come from that the Big Bang exploded and caused? And he said, well, we don't know that. Okay. Well, where did the laws come from, right? We have lots of laws. We have gravity, centrifugal force, inertia. We have these rules that govern the entire world that we live in, the universe, the galaxy. Where did all these come from? Well, we don't know that either. Okay. Can you tell me where the energy came from, right? It takes a lot of energy to explode into this big bang. Who bought the gas to run this engine, right? It's where did this come from? Oh, we don't know that either. <laughs> okay. All right. So the interview said, said, well, can I ask you another question? And the professor said, sure. What else would you like to know? <laughs> Wait a minute. You haven't answered any questions yet. <laughs> so let's, all right. So. He, he, they asked, does the facility have a merry-go-round? And he says, yes, we have a merry-go-round. He says, now, if you see a spinning object and that spinning object breaks apart and things fly off of it, in a frictionless environment, everything continues to spin in the exact same direction, right? So you can see in, people, in this merry-go-round, people are spinning off, and when I spin off the merry-go-round, I keep spinning in the direction that the merry-go-round was spinning, right? You cannot spin the opposite direction, right? It's called the um, conservation of angular momentum. And so, so basically, you know, the professor says, yes, okay, I understand the conservation of angular momentum. So, okay, good, here's the question. It says, why is the whole universe that spun out from this big bang, one explosion, have just in our galaxy three planets that spin backwards? If you notice, we spin one way on the earth, but Venus, Uranus, and Pluto all spin backwards from us. Now, if there's a, if there's a law that says the conservation of angular momentum that says when you spin off of a spinning object... You spin the same direction. How do we get three planets? In fact, we have more than that. We have six moons of the 63 moons in our galaxy spin backwards around the planets that we have. So the interesting thing is, is that Jupiter, Saturn, and Neptune have moons orbiting in both directions. So they have moons going this way and moons going that way, and it's just back and forth, right? So how does this happen if we have a Big Bang that occurred and we don't have God's hand in it all. And, well, of course, you know, he answers, I don't know. You know, what? I don't know. That's interesting. So, now, at this point, you know, I wished that the, that the, the, crea the, in, the professor would have asked the creationist, right? Like, well, what do you believe happened? But he didn't. And the creationist goes on to say, well, you know, if I had said that God created the whole world, what do you think the professor would say? Where, 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 where did God come from, right? Where, you know, because that's the same kind of logic, right? Where did Big Bang come from? Where did God come from, right? Well, we don't know. We don't know where God came from, right? He's, he's everlasting. So, but here's the thing. How many times did the professor say, I don't know, right? To, to believe that our belief is a religion and the professor's isn't is very short-sighted, right? Because we know that Big Bang is one of the religions because it's the same thing we have. We don't know where God came from, but they don't know any of their answers either. They don't have proof, but they deal with it as if it's 
science. They believe that it doesn't change, right? So evolution and Big Bang is a religion in itself. The definition of science is the study of the natural world based on experiments and observation. However, you can't observe or recreate the Big Bang or evolution. There's absolutely no way to recreate evolution. We've never been able to do it. So it's 100% theory. It's just a belief. So the president or the professor was asked, where did matter come from? He said, I don't know. So basically, in the beginning, we believe in God. And the professor, in the beginning, he believes in dirt. Right? <laughs> in the beginning, there was dirt. So at this point, one of the professors that's, that's in this interview was getting a little anxious, and he jumped in, and he said, there are hundreds of varieties of dogs. Hundreds of them. And he says, you expect me to believe that all these dogs came from two dogs that were on the ark? And the, and the interview says, whoa, hold up. He says, Think about it for a minute. What are you asking me to believe? You're asking me to believe all these dogs came from a rock. <laughs> Which is more likely? A dog to come from a dog? Or dogs to come from a rock? Right? Did you see the animals? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, then they'll tell students in, in classes that we have evidence for all of this right we have charles darwin he would uh stopped off at these islands called the galapagos islands i don't know if anybody's ever heard of that it's a big thing when you're in school to learn about the galapagos islands and these 14 different birds and uh they have these 14 different birds that that all you know are different and they see this adaptation right and so this is proof of evolution and he says, now we have all these birds and we know that this changed and they have a common ancestor. And you know what? I agree with them, but I believe the common ancestor was probably a bird because <laughs> birds come from birds, right? But Mr. Darwin, he looks at these things and evolutionists, they look at these things and somehow they make the connection that a bird came from a banana. They're related. It makes no logical sense and there's no evidence to prove it right so 14 different kinds of birds and we conclude birds come from bananas it, it just doesn't work so eventually they'll say well we have lots of fossils and they prove various things but we have to remember that the fossil record has tons of holes in it we say sometimes they'll say they're looking for the missing link between monkeys and people well there's a lot more than the missing link of just m apes to people there are missing links in every single species that they say evolved to another species <clears throat> they can't connect them with anything else than just guessing they're just guessing at which animals came from what they're like maybe this came from here maybe this came from here so when you find a fossil in the dirt and you find a, uh, a bone all that you know is that something died, right? You don't know anything about it. You don't know that it had any kids. You don't know that it had different kids, right? If we say this bone came from an alligator, we don't know that that alligator had babies that were birds. 
I mean, we would assume that an alligator would have more alligators. If we took it to a judge and we said, hey, I have this bone and this is the ancestor of all humans, the judge would probably laugh at us because we don't have evidence, we don't have clear testimony, we don't have anything to prove that this bone was an ancestor of humans. So, why would you think a bone in the dirt can do something that animals today in our world can't do? Because we cannot see new genes, new DNA being added to any uh, animals or creatures in the world today. So, at one point, they'll, po- they'll, they'll, they'll do these other little tricks, right? These are, this is how uh, I think they get crafty, right? They'll, they'll look at our wrists, and my wife, being in the medical industry, she'll, she's aware of this. They'll have the radius and the ulna, right? We have two major bones in the, in the arm and the wrist. And they'll say, well, look, we have all these animal, other animals. Look, dolphin, human, horse, bird, bat, box turtle. They all have a radius and an ulna. Well, that is interesting, but who named, who named those bones? <laughs> Was it the turtle? (laughs) And then we ended up with the same bones? No, they're just bones and they're just named that way because they're in appendages. We named them, right? So there are a lot of problems with evolutionary theory. There are a lot of snags in it, right? So we see all these missing links, not just in mankind, but with all of the different species. So the next thing they'll say is, well, evolutionary theory maybe it happened so fast that's that's the new thing right they have these bursts of evolution where the fossil record wasn't preserved because it happened so fast so an alligator suddenly gives birth to a bird what did the bird marry (laughs) i mean that would be only one then i mean did they they suddenly have a whole bunch of birds and they were identical you know it doesn't There's no evidence of it, but this is their excuses that they come up with. It doesn't seem to me that it would be scientific theory if we just make stuff up and we guess at it. We don't have any evidence of this because the fossil record is completely devoid of it. So they have, let me, let's just look at this. This process that brought us to be is billions of years old. It happens very fast. Billions of years fast. Here is a... Billions of years fast, <laughs> right? It's slow in one case. It's evolution, right? It takes long time to happen, and now it happens really fast. It takes billions of years fast. So then we'll come up with carbon dating. You guys have probably heard of carbon dating, right? It was invented in the 1940s. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how it's supposed to work, and then we'll show why it doesn't work. So let's start with a candle. When was the candle lit? Can anybody tell me when the candle was lit? Let's say you walk into a room. When was the candle lit? Well, you don't know, huh? You have to ask the person that lit it? Is that what you said? Oh, it was lit when it was the person lit it, right? But we have to know exactly when, right? If I have to tell you when, you don't know. So what we have to do is I can give you more information. I can say that the height of the current candle is seven inches, right? Now when was it lit? Still when the person lit it. (laughs) But 
we still don't know exactly when that was if we don't know when the person if we don't have the person to talk to so i'll give you more information let's measure the rate of burn and let's say it's dropping one inch every hour so it takes an inch to burn the candle now when was it lit we still don't know i mean we know because we don't know the original height we don't know how much was there originally so we still don't know when it was lit um so basically when you find a fossil in the dirt you can measure the amount of what they call c14 carbon 14 in the bone right and it's incredibly accurate we know exactly how much carbon is in that bone or that fossil but and well and you can measure how fast it's decaying right so we have a bone we can measure it today we know how much is there we can measure it tomorrow we know how much dropped right so we can know how fast it's decaying and we know how much is there but that's the same problem we have here right we don't know how much it started with we don't know the conditions of the earth back when it was around so we have no way to determine when that animal died we don't have a single clue now here's the interesting thing about radiometric uh, dating when when the samples are of a known age so we know how old something is then carbon dating doesn't work scientists will admit that but when samples are of an unknown age we assume that carbon dating does work <laughs> wait a minute if we know if it's of a known age then we should be able to test that it works but no they just assume it doesn't work so here's some examples a freshly killed seal was carbon dated, 1,300 years old. <laughs> We've never had a, th a seal last 1,300 years, but that's what we have. That's in the Arctic Journal in 1971. So then they found snails. They took living snails and carbon dated the shells 27,000 years old. Boy, those snails get around. They move slow, but they've been around a long time, right? That's in Science Magazine, 1984. They've actually seen penguins, living penguins, dated 8,000 years old. Living penguins. Now, how can you have a penguin that's alive, and we know its lifespan doesn't more than, you know, I don't even know how long a penguin lives, but 8,000 years? That's a little excessive. Then they took Dima. I don't know if you guys have found, know about Dima. It was a frozen baby mammoth that was found in Arctica or Alaska. And they carbon dated it. Different parts of the animal carbon dated different amounts. <laughs> so, so they carbon date Dima's head and it's 40,000 years old. They carbon date her foot 26,000 years old. <laughs> And then they found wood next to the carcass, and it carbon dated nine to ten thousand years old. So, so wait a minute. <laughs> this is this is supposed to be something we rely on. This is something that science says carbon dated. We carbon dated it. It's all here, right? We don't. It, it's not reliable. It doesn't work. We don't have the conditions for the world that was it, it was in back then. It's not even reliable now when we know how long something lived. What about we have the geologic column, right? Now, 
here's where you have all of these different strata, right? You have the Crustaceous period, the Jurassic period, the Triassic period, the Permian. And these are all different. Eat, eat all, and you'll have the Crustaceous period, right? This is where all the little sea creatures first evolved. And then you have the next one and there's different animals in there. And here's now we're going to look at the strata, but ignore that tree that runs through them all. <laughs> this tree was slowly buried over thousands and millions of years <laughs> and it stayed alive the whole time, never rotted, and it was... You, ignore that tree. Shh, stop. I just put my hand over it. <laughs> right? It obviously happened at a much faster point, right? In fact, they act, you can actually prove with experimentation that the flood would have caused the exact same strata. So when you have the flood draining back off of the earth into the oceans, it would have deposited sediments. And the sediments would have layered themselves. In fact, it's real interesting. I saw one scientist, he took, he had a uh, little glass thing. Have you ever seen those? With, they're filled with water and they've got sand in it of different colors. And you tilt it and they, the sand comes down and slopes down. He would tilt this over and over and upside down. And all of the strata would end up in the same layers over and over. So the light sand would go down, the heavier sand, everything would be the exact same that it was each time. So here you have these layers, and he'd flip it upside down. You would think the top layer would end up at the bottom. No, the whole thing would collapse and swirl, and the same layer that was on the bottom and ended up on top ended up on the bottom again. So a perfect example of what would have happened in the flood creating all of these different strata and layers and why that happened with a tree in the center of it, because the tree happened at the same time. The tree was uprooted during this violent act we see in Genesis of the flood. <clears throat> so I also wanted to look at dinosaurs. Now, here is the Spinosauridae family. Left to right, we have the, there's a little person so you can get scale. We have the Spinosaurus, Oxialia, Sucumimus, I'm probably butchering these names, Baroxinix, Ithiovolnator, Irritator, right? They have all, right here we have six different kinds of dinosaurs. <laughs> no, no, I can't repeat. It's on the screen. <laughs> but we have six different kinds of dinosaurs here, right? Now what they found is they're like, okay, we have six different kinds of dinosaurs. This is what they believed all this time. They have six different kinds of dinosaurs. Well, suddenly they started looking at these dinosaurs and they found, they started finding DNA, right? And some of you guys may have known that where they found fleshy, uh, soft tissue and they're actually able to track the DNA. Well, DNA doesn't last millions of years, but these animals are supposed to be millions of years old. Well, now that they're testing the DNA, they're finding out that this little guy over here is the same as the big guy over there. They've been naming them different and really that's mama. That's baby. And the teenagers in between. Right? And so they're all the same dinosaur. Here's the thing. Even today, have you ever seen the news reports? Huge uh, tw 20-foot, 30-foot python found in the for uh, uh, Florida Everglades. You know, 100 pounds. And it's huge. And it's eating dogs <laughs> or something. Right? You find reptiles get very, very big. They never stop growing, right? 
People, when you get older, you stop growing at some point. Reptiles never stop growing. They always get bigger and bigger and bigger as long as they have food and as long as they stay alive. How long did humans stay alive before the flood? Anybody know? Huh? Yeah, how long on average? Like Methuselah, how long did he live? Right, 969 years. Huh? Less than a thousand, right? But we had, we had him living nine times, ten times longer than us, right? So here's the thing is, if, we, if, if people were living that long, how long were reptiles living? Right? So it, it, and, and if reptiles never stopped growing, a small reptile could easily become a big reptile. And be a dinosaur, right? So here we have a triceratops. And this was a three-horned lizard. It was a dinosaur that they found. Now, I don't know for a fact. I don't, I'm not saying that this is fact or statement. All I'm saying is hypotheses, just like they say, hypotheses. There's a three-horned lizard that we have now. Right now, imagine that three-horned lizard. You see the little thing right behind its eyes, like this little—it's even got a little scoop right behind its eyes. Imagine that three-horned lizard, nine hundred years old. He's only a couple of months old, right? So I don't know. I'm not saying that this is definitive proof by any stretch of the imagination. However, we see that dinosaurs—we thought there were hundreds of species of dinosaurs. Now they're realizing there was only a dozen or so. There's only a handful of different types of dinosaurs, and that all the different names of dinosaurs are actually just different age levels, right? So we have teenagers, we have middle age, and they were just their entire bone structure would change as they continued to get older and older. These reptiles that lived for a very long time, because as we know. Before the flood, most things were vegetarian. So they lived for very long periods of time. They didn't eat each other. You know, things lived around for a long time. Uh, things started doing that uh, over the process up until the flood and after the flood. So we have these, these issues in the way that they, they define things. Science is something that always changes. They say this is hard truth science. But then they change it every time we turn around because they're constantly in the nature of science. We're constantly observing and defining the truth that we see. So we have to rely on something that is a foundational, that is a diehard truth. And what I've always found is that the science always catches up to the Bible. It's amazing to watch how science catches up to the Bible. For another example, we have vestigial organs. Everybody heard vestigial organs before? Vestigial organs are organs that they say we no longer need. They're left, a lot, they're left around because of evolution, right? They're just remnants, right? Like the appendix. They say the appendix is a vestigial organ because you can do without it does not mean you don't need it, right? Vestigial, they, they're actually finding that the appendix is a very key part of your immune system. It's critical when you're a child and it can be important when you're an adult and you can do without it but your immune system is weakened when you don't have it, right? Right? So a v their definition of a vestigial organ is we don't need it, so we don't, it's a leftover, right? So why don't we take away all our arms and legs? 
we can still live without arms and legs, right? So we don't need them. They're vestigial. <laughs> you can do without your ear, one of your eyes, two of your eyes. I mean, you can do live without them, so they must be vestigial, right? <clears throat> so, again, you have these issues, right? They even say that, uh, well, even if there was such a thing as vestigial organs, that's the opposite of evolution. That's losing things, not gaining them, right? Evolution is supposed to be gaining things. And somehow we're losing them, and that's evidence of evolution. They'll also say that the tailbone is evidence of a vestigial organ from when we used to have tails, and we no longer need it. Well, first of all, the tailbone is critical. It connects to 12 muscles. 12 muscles connect to your tailbone. If you hurt your tailbone, you will know it because it connects to a lot of things, a lot of critical things. But they say we no longer need a tail. Do you know how how handy a tail would be? <laughs> I mean, I could walk up to the store, with, uh, walk up home from the store with my groceries. I have two bags. I could just get the door with my tail and walk in, right? I mean, that would, how <laughs> we no longer need a tail. A tail would be awesome. We could be driving down the car, driving, tuning the radio, drinking its water. <laughs> you know, we'd be, t- it would, I don't see how they can say we no longer needed a tail, and so we ha- but we have this vestigial leftover. So, Huh? Right, it just fell off. We no longer needed it. I'd love to have a third hand. <laughs> natural selection, right? So we have natural selection. Natural selection is where they say that we, we adapt, right? We have a new genes that come along and we lose the old ones and we keep the good ones. The problem with natural selection is that the thing doesn't change, right? Now, if... If we throw away all the defects, why do they believe that the whatever becomes something new, right? If I worked at a Ford factory, I worked at Ford factory, Dodge factory, whatever for cars, and every time a car is coming along, my job is to look it over and see defects. And every time there's a defect, I tell them to throw away that car, okay, or get rid of the defect, how long do I have to sit there working, getting rid of defects off of this car before it becomes a plane? It's probably never going to happen, right? Because anything that looked like a plane, I would get rid of as a defect. It's not a car, <laughs> right? But that's the way they think natural selection works, is that it's an evidence of evolution. And in reality, it's just like Darwin's birds that we saw earlier, right? Natural selection is... Birds on one side of the island had a different food to eat. So the birds that had a different beak, you know how when we're born, every one of us is different. The kids don't come off an assembly line looking identical. They're all different, right? So the, the birds that had a different beak that could allow them to eat the food on that side of the island thrived and they stayed there. The other birds either went to the other side of the island or they didn't make it. So only birds on this side that were breeding and marrying each other were being born and they had the same beak, right? That's natural selection. But it doesn't create other things. Birds become birds. So another thing that they'll have is embryo development. Embryo development is when we have the early stages of a baby and they've pointed out that we have these gill slits. And we say, see, this is evidence of early life. When we evolved from when we breathed as fish. (laughs) 
And we have common ancestry because all of the different uh, embryos look the same. Well, this is in our text today. In fact, they will point this out. This is from a textbook where they'll point these out as gill slits. However, those folds underneath the chin are never having anything to do with breathing. In fact, those gills, those folds, become elements of bone in your ear and it becomes glands in your throat. So they've actually been able to track them with our science that we have now to know that those folds are actually important developmental pieces that become a part of the neck and head. I mean, that's where they are. They don't go away as gills. They actually just become part of your body. I have had more than one chin, and I've seen people with lots of chins, and they never can breathe through them. <laughs> it's only the top one works. So... There was a particular guy, his name was Haeckel, Ernst, Ernst Haeckel, not to be confused with Ernest, right? It's Ernst, not Ernest, not our Ernest, but Ernst Haeckel, his drawings. What he did was he started drawing. Now he said the greatest discovery that changed his thinking was reading Charles Darwin's book in 1860. And so what he did was he wrote, he drew out all of these different embryos, fish, salamander, turtle, chicken, rabbit, and human. And look, they all look the same. They're all the same. And so see how we all have a common ancestor? And he went around, he made big posters and billboards, and he went around to Germany and he converted all of Germany to believe in evolution. And the problem here is that we have actual pictures in 1997, Michael Richardson, Dr. Michael Richardson, took actual photographs of all of these embryos. They don't look the same anymore. However, those top pictures are still in our books today, being taught to students. Even though these bottom pictures are accurate and actual, the top ones are drawings. And these are still found in school books today. It's only been disproven for 120 years that he lied and that he made these up, that these are just drawings. However, we still have them in school books. So, I once saw a question come across on a state proficiency exam. You know, we have these exams that you have to go through. That uh, And sometimes in homeschooling, depending on what you sign up for or how you want to do it, they may have exams that you have to go through. Now, this was a written exam that was in school. It wasn't a proficiency exam uh, that was state-governed because those are usually just multiple choice. But this one was in a class, and it was an essay question. And so it was just kind of a class thing, but it was under thinking critically. And the question was... Do you think humans are still evolving? Explain. Now, does that teach a child to think critically? Or does it teach a child how to think? Because in that question, do you think humans are still evolving? It lays the premise that we were evolving at some point, right? So it's not, it's not telling children how to think or students how to think. It's telling them we were evolving, do you think we're still evolving? It's telling them how to think. It's not thinking critically. It's, it's 
fooling the students into thinking they're thinking critically, and then they get out in the world and they think they think critically, but they still have to be told what to think because that's how the questions are designed. And we use our, they use our tax dollars to put these programs into our schools. If you want to deny evolution, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. <laughs> right, we need them. We need our kid. We need those kids. Um, the problem is, is that I fully believe in keeping my religion at home. That's fine. I don't want the state to teach religion. Right? I'll keep my religion at home, and I'll go out and witness to only people who want to hear it. I'm not going to go onto government grounds and do that. However, I also think that they should keep their religion at home. Right? Because if they're believing in Big Bang, and that's a faith, and there's no evidence, and there's no proof, and there's all these holes that we're talking about now, that's a religion. That's a belief. That's a faith. And if it's not fact, then keep it at home. Let's keep the science classes about physics, about math, about things that we can prove. There was a Russian atheist astronomer, astronomer that came to America and he spoke at a university. And he started off his speech and he said, Folks, there either is a God or there isn't a God. And he says, Both possibilities are frightening. Now he says, If there is no God, we're in trouble. <laughs> because here we are, we're sitting on a planet that's revolving around the sun and it's hurtling through the universe at 66,000 miles per hour and no one's in charge. <laughs> that's, that's frightening if there is no God. But if God made the world, then He owns it. He made the rules. He takes care of it. We're in the palm of His hand. If there is a God, we better find out who He is. We better find out what He wants, and we better do what He says. Malcolm Muggeridge, a journalist and philosopher, says, I myself am convinced that the theory of evolution, especially to the extent to which it has been applied, will be one of the greatest jokes in the history books of the future. Posterity will marvel that so flimsy and dubious a hypothesis could be accepted with the incredible credulity it has. So he's just, this is a guy, uh, lectures at the University of uh, Water, that's supposed to be Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. So it's a joke at how flimsy evolutionary theory is, and yet it's taught as fact. And when we subject our students to it, when they leave the nest and they go to college and they see these things, if we don't teach young earth and we don't teach the science that supports creation, then they get out there and they get subjected to evolution and they get subjected to these lies and they get confused. It's real easy to get confused. I get confused on a daily basis. <laughs> and we have to have the fortitude to look for the truth, to study it out. And if we don't provide that to our kids and provide that passion and provide that critical thinking, true critical thinking, then they don't go after it and they, don't, they get confused and we can lose them. So it would be a funny joke if it wasn't for the hilarious or the horrible results because we have kids lose, leaving the faith on a regular basis. 
These students are taught it, they believe it, and that destroys their faith. The problem is, is that we're going to be dead for a long time, and the only thing we get is that little dash, right? George Washington died 200 years ago, and where is he now? He's still dead, right? He had a dash between two dates. You have your birth date, and you have the date that you die, and you have the time in between. So I would say that if you're going to do something with that time in between, that you do something for God, that you spend it seeking God, and that you spend it building a relationship with God. Because if He truly designed this world, as we see through the evidence of creation around us, then I want to have a relationship with that Creator. I want to have a relationship that grows me closer to the, to the one being in this universe that can provide everlasting life, that can give us eternal life. I want to finish with one little symposium or one little group that, uh, uh, build that we made here. The Big Bang. Before the Big Bang, there was nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing created everything. The Big Bang is an amazingly difficult thing to wrap your brain around, which isn't surprising. 13.7 billion years ago, we think it was tiny. Nothing, literally nothing, was tiny. And then something happened. Nothing created all the matter we see in the universe today. Nothing is more powerful than nothing. And that's what trips most of us up. <laughs> it was the explosion of nothing. That's what they're put on these TV shows. So if you'll bow your heads with me and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... God, we're amazed at the lies that are put into the books today. God, please guard our minds. Please help us to be prepared. Help us to study and see the truth. Not something that people make up. Not guesses and theories, but we can see evidence of your design all over us. God, I'm so amazed when you consider the smallest cell in our bodies contain all of the DNA we need to live. And that DNA, if it was written on paper, would be 200 feet tall. It would be a million page book. And yet somehow people deny that design is there that information came from a being such as you so god as we as we go through this world we ask for that fortitude to to stand up for you we ask for the ability to witness and testify to people to to bring them out of darkness god we don't we don't want to believe in ill will towards these people who are believing these lies because we know the father of the lies we want to rescue these people. We want to show them the truth. God, as you spend time with us over the next week, strengthen our faith. Give us a testimony that we can share with those people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.